Welcome along to episode 31 of From the Valley podcast. Uh, it is a Thursday, the 14th of March 2019, uh, and today I've got uh, a good good friend of mine who I'd like to catch up with probably once a year and and uh, and talk as to what's going on. Welcome along to the podcast, Bob Ada. Thank you very much. Thanks, Tim. Appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, Bob Ada is uh, working for a company the last five years by the name of Scottish Pacific. Uh, they do all types of business finance, and today on the podcast, we'll find out a bit about what uh, some of the Scott Pack products are at the moment. Uh, probably some of them are changing, but I'd really like to sort of share with the listeners as to um, you know exactly where that's where the, where Scott Pack's sort of going. Uh, but what we like to usually do at the start of these sort of podcasts, Bob, is just find a bit about more a bit about your background, where you came from, what family life was like growing up that type of thing. So where were you born, Bob? I was actually born in, uh, I don't admit it to too many people in Queensland, but I was born in Yass in uh, New South Wales. So, Whereabouts is Yass? That's... Uh, it's southern southern New South Wales. It's near Burrinjuk Dam. My father was a um, school teacher uh, in, at Burrinjuk Dam. So, um, so that was where, yeah. So, but I'm, I'm a born, I'm a, I'm a now I'm a red-blooded Queenslander, so I don't. Um, so when don't did you first move to? So how many? How long ago did you first move to Queensland? Uh, I in 1978. Yeah, so that's long enough. Married a married a Queensland girl from um, uh, Mariba. Her father was a tobacco farmer in uh, tobacco Mariba. farmer. Wow. Okay. Whereabouts is Mariba? That's um, that's on the hinterland up from Cairns. Okay, so, so right near far Atherton, north. Atherton Tableland, yeah. Far north then. Yeah. Um, so, so what was life gro- like growing up for you as a kid? Uh, uh, you know, back in the day, Bob. What uh, sort of mischief did you get up to, and what was family life like generally like? Well, we did a fair bit of travelling because Dad moved around as a teacher. So we, we, uh, when I was five, we went back to um, uh, Sydney for a little while because he was born in Sydney, and so was Mum. And then we went back out to Griffith, uh, a place called Bill Bangra. Um, that was in the late late 50s, so I'm going to age myself a bit here. Um, and uh, then we moved on from there to a place called Area Park, uh, which um, all the people that follow Aussie Rules would know pretty well because that's um, uh, not far from where the Danahers came from in Melbourne in Aussie Rules. Yeah, Dan- uh, yeah the Danahers are very, very sort of famous AFL family. You had Terry Danaher. Um, was it Anthony, this, this, the guy who played for Sydney Swans, or who was that? Yeah, I'm not sure. Not sure. Yeah, there was, and Neil Danaher. Yeah. There's probably four of them at least. So you're very, very, very famous yeah. family. So I played, I played, a, uh, I used to play Aussie Rules on a Saturday and, um, and Rugby League on a Sunday for the, for the school. So. so you could play AFL and Rugby League yeah. sort of at, in the same sort of week. Time frame. That's, That's pretty right. pretty amazing stuff. You don't know. I wouldn't know too many people who would have sort of ventured into both, uh, let alone both fields, let let alone, you know, at the same time. Pretty. I much. wasn't. I wasn't very good at them, Tim. I got to tell you. And in fact, I'm glad I wasn't all that good because of all the injuries I see with my mates that have had, um, you know, that have been elite sportsmen. So, mm. but I had a good, I had a lot of fun. Then I mm. moved back. I went to university in Sydney uh, and. Um, Moved there in uh, the mid '60s. Yep. And um, and I played uh, AFL in Sydney too um, for a down the down the down the line 
uh, great, but uh, we always had a lot of fun. Yeah, definitely. Do you still follow AFL at the moment then? Do you got a team? Sort of, yeah. I, I, I watched Carlton play in Narendra in about 1962, so I've sort of got a bit of a, a hankering for Carlton, um, who they haven't gone too well over the last number of years. So, but, uh, yeah. But uh, I've just read something. Carlton still have the highest number of premiership wins out of all teams, I believe. Is that that? I'm not sure. Yeah, just thought I'd point that sure. out there, a bit of bit of trivia. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, so AFL um, and Sydney. So you did university there, and and what sort of were you studying at university? Uh, economics, uh, accounting. Um, I wasn't all that good at any of that either, but I got a fairly good grounding in in the basics of finance, uh, which I suppose prompted me to eventually get into into finance in the late '60s. So and I. I started working for a company called Associated Securities, which was a uh, fairly big finance company at the time. And then I spent um, most of my years through Tim the um, the 60s, the 70s, and the 80s in finance companies. So that gave me a fair, pretty pretty good grounding in general commercial commercial finance. Mm. You would have seen a lot of changes, I guess, over the over the decades of. Uh of being in the industry, wouldn't you? What 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 sort of what sort of stands out back in those days as to where things were with finance? Well, a lot of the the, the finance companies in those days were were huge innovators. Uh, they were the ones that really. So what are some examples of that? Just because yep. I don't know much about the, this history. Well, they they were the ones that really uh, got involved in uh, leasing. They. They were the innovators that brought leasing in in the uh, late sixties. Um, the finance industry brought that in, uh, and um, uh, and they were very very big commercial lenders in in property uh, um, because in those days a lot of the a lot of the banks were uh, really home lenders, and um, even though they did a bit of commercial lending, it was. Um, Home loans were their prime, uh, prime fare. That's what they were more interested in. So, and there were quite a number. I can't remember how many finance companies where there were Tim, but there were probably, you know, heaps. Um, AGC, Custom Credit. I remember AGC. Yeah. Yeah. So, a lot of innovators. UDC, uh, and then of course what subsequently happened, due to funding pressures and in the late, uh, late 80s, 90s. Uh, eventually, essentially, all the finance companies were pretty much incorporated because all the banks gradually bought up yeah. um, shareholding. Yeah, in a lot of the, I didn't Westpac buy like Westpac, AGC, AGC, yeah, National Bank, Custom Credit. Mm. Um, my last finance company that I worked for was Mercantile Credits, uh, and that was actually taken over by a Sander, and that was ANZ, of course, which um, is now, yeah, yeah. So you've obviously seen a lot over the over the course of time, um, but also uh, so the finance finance has obviously been, always played a fairly big part in your working life. It has. Um, but also, um, you've certainly been an instructor with some training courses and stuff like that with uh, Dale Carnegie. Yes. So when did you first get involved in with Dale Carnegie? That uh, and Dale Carnegie, uh, for listeners, um, they certainly. Uh, the sort of 
strongly um, promoting themselves, I guess, within the Valley Chamber of Commerce, providing training. Uh, we had John Gillies, one of our directors, actually do the... Um, very recently um, graduated in the three-day course, uh, which was really, really good. But tell us how, how you got involved in Dale Carnegie. Well, I had a... Um, i got to say that um, in the late 70s, I was a very angry young man. And, um, and I had a, uh, a fellow who, who was my manager with Mercantile Credits, and um, he showed a lot of faith in me and gave me the opportunity because he saw, obviously saw some potential and um, he, he thought that the Dale Carnegie program would work um, very well for me and as it turned out it absolutely, absolutely did. I've got the highest respect for Dale Carnegie. I think it's a marvellous a marvellous program. Mm. Um, so he introduced that to me in 1979 and um, uh, I became very involved in it and subsequently I, I uh, became an instructor mm. of in 1982 with mm. uh, Dale Carnegie and and that's interesting because Dale Carnegie himself actually started the program in 1912 and it started as a, a public speaking program Tim which gradually evolved into where it is today where it's become a combination of um, uh, human relations how to Win Friends and Influence People. It's Definitely, yeah. A really good book from the written by Dale Carnegie, um, How to Stop Worrying and Start Living, uh, because Dale Carnegie realised that a lot of um, people that he, that he saw in New York City in 1912 were lacking in confidence. But then he, then he realised that they didn't have the ability to communicate with each other. So, mm. so that was how the program... And it's a very clever program. So I was... I was a Dale Carnegie instructor. I really only stopped uh, a few years ago. So mm. uh, I had a, a really good uh, career. It was part-time. I, I was uh, doing it as a part-time. So part-time sort interest. of how many hours a week did, would that involve, do you think, over there? Well, it was uh, approximately four hours every night. Uh, sorry, uh, once a week. Um, yep. However, there was a lot of extra work yep. to be done in preparation. Yeah, yeah. and Prep work and, yep. Because our classes had something like... In those days, between 25 and 35, yep. as a um, number of people in the in the class, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of work with to work with each of those people to help them. Because in those days, it was a a 14 week program, which gradually reduced to 12, and I believe now that it's a shorter program now, um, over three or four days. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, John Gellies did the three day program, obviously f- full intensive for three days. And yeah. You know, the things like memory techniques, like, um, you know, you, you're, in a, you're in a room of 30 people and you obviously word association knowing their, everybody's name and all That's that right. sort of stuff. That's, That's part right. of what you sort of pick up and learn and learning how to deal with different, you know, difficult situations. Certainly, uh, you know, you practice that type of thing, don't you? That's right. That's part of the confidence situation. Mm-hmm. So, so in the in, in the early days of the program, in the first uh, two or three weeks, that was when we worked very heavily on uh, memory techniques, mm. um, because everybody's got a good memory. It's it's how they use it, yeah. and how they, you know, we we speak in words, but we think in pictures. So definitely think. So in it's pictures, a case yeah. of being able to um, be able to identify in your mind. I mean, if I said to you, Tim, just think of a uh, rosy red apple, huge big red apple sitting on the top of the Story Bridge. 
it is very hard for you because most people identify with the story bridge and they can get a picture of the of the story bridge uh, so being able to identify and see that red apple on the top of the that's how easy it is things to, to remember mm. so it's a case of identifying things you need to remember by, by giving them some sort of object to place around or if you're remembering names it's a case of identifying um, uh, a, 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 a name and then applying it to some sort of picture like yep. for example um, my nickname when I was growing up was I was called Death Adder right so I was going to talk about I was going to talk about Adder and anyway keep going yep so that, yeah so I, I was I was called Death Adder so yeah. my way of remembering my name was thinking of a, a snake yeah. um, bobbing up and down. Yeah. There you got Bob Ada. Yeah. So it's a case of putting the two together, and and that's how you're able to. But but the other thing is, Tim, you've actually got short term and long term memory. Yep. And, and I don't know how many people I've run into over the years where they've been introduced to somebody, mm. and they've uh, forgotten their name when they've turned away from them. Mm. The trick then is that when you're introduced to somebody, repeat it a number of times yep. um, over again, and that'll help you remember their name. Longer term memory is that is that association with the with a picture. Yeah. So you can actually place a picture around yep. Tim Wilshire, yeah, for example. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. you're talking about you. Obviously, your name's Bob Adder, um, and. Uh, I guess if I was a type of snake, I'd actually be an adder because, you know, I'm an accountant, I'm good at maths, I'm a, you know. So. That's very good. <laughs> so, very clever. Yeah. So, no, great. Um, yeah, so the Dale Carnegie, and I think I, I certainly want to get involved um, with that myself, I think, uh, this year would probably be a, a good a good opportunity to to do one of those three-day courses myself just to sort of – John had such a good time. People speak highly of it. Um, yourself wouldn't be working for a company for 30 years unless it was, uh, you know, top of the line sort of, a top of the line type organisation that uh, has really good training techniques and and is a fun place to work as well, I'd no. imagine. So, um, you know, that type of thing it brings a lot of, you know, a lot a lot of quality. And I might even try to get um, uh, someone from Dale Carnegie on the podcast at some point. Probably the guy who, who's over in Auckland. I can't remember his name. Yeah, but he was he was he was at one of the um, business festival things last year. Okay. As a panelist with um, Philip DeBella, but I'm just trying to remember his name. <laughs> Techniques remembering people's name. It I is. just remember he looked like a he looked like a Colombian sort of drug lord or something. But, <laughs> but that doesn't help me with his name right now. <laughs> well, well, the, the marvelous thing about Carnegie yeah. and why I thoroughly enjoyed it uh, was people are unbelievably Will. stimulating. Mm. Tim, yeah, and it's uh, especially if you if you've got someone who comes into the program and they they just want to get stuck into it from the get go, mm. and they just want to improve themselves. Um, yeah, and I found I found that especially so with a huge number of women who came through the program, they were very keen to improve themselves right from the start and do whatever needed to be done, and. Mm. That's incredibly stimulating for an instructor because mm. if you've got someone who really wants to work really hard, I mean, it's the same thing with everything, isn't it? I mean, you, yep. you, you, your employees or people that work for you, people who are enthusiastic and, mm. and want to try and improve what they do, 
is is very very um, uh, stimulating. Mm. So whilst working at Dale Carnegie, is any particular uh, mentor that sticks out that you're working with uh, closely uh, at the time that w- became a good mentor for you? Uh, well, well, I first got involved um, with a gentleman called Ian McKean, mm. uh, who was uh, and his wife Elma. Uh, they were the franchisors. Uh, or sorry, franchisees, isn't it? Um, that had the franchise for the Dale Carnegie program in Brisbane at the mm. time. Yep. And um, he was a marvelous man. He he had um, he had he had basically started the Dale, the the program in in Queensland, and he had the as I said, he had the franchise for mm. for Queensland. And um, he was, you know, one of those people, Tim, that um, that they're more interested in you. When you start talking to them, than talking about themselves, but yeah, obviously he, he was one of those people that that wanted to know yeah. all about you, what what uh, made you tick, if you like. Yeah, uh, and he was he was a very hard taskmaster. He he, um, uh, I remember uh, he, he used to set up the back um, when I was instructing, and then he so would, he'd sort of watch you from the back. Yeah, and then he would give me a series of notes. That sometimes went for two or three pages, where yeah. where he was suggesting that I should do certain things in the way that I was doing the instructing and leading the class, uh, and and whilst at times I'd used to get up my nose about <laughs> about about um, what he was saying, I realised that later that they were terribly instructive because he'd been doing it for a long, long time, mm. and so um, so I'd say yeah, he was a uh, quite quite a, a man that I looked up to. Plus, Elma, Elma was was his right hand person, and in many ways she was um, the soft part of him because she was very clever in working with him and with everyone else, um, as often happens. Mm. Yeah. So Dale Carnegie. Um, so obviously that's part of your life, and that's obviously a, you know. A, a big part of what makes uh, you, you know, you who you are, Bob. Anyway, I think. Um, obviously, finance industry, though. Um, going back to that, tell us a bit about um, uh, when you were working with the Bank of Queensland. Um, that was obviously you were there for quite a while. Um, what what did sort of what did you sort of get involved at with the Bank of Queensland? What was the culture like to work there? Sort of, uh, you know, during the I guess the turn of the turn of the century. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I I first got involved in um, Bank of Queensland in '99, and yep. uh, um, uh, one of the I think the directors at the time um, asked me to come along, and because uh, I'd I'd been I'd been involved in essentially data finance. Yep. Uh, I was introduced into that um, with Mercantile Credits back yep. in the. Uh, back in 19, I think about 1982, 1983, yep. um, and uh, and so I'd been I'd been involved in a number of companies um, that uh, sold the data finance product, yep. primarily, and uh, so this particular director felt that Bank of Queensland needed an extra string to their commercial offering. Uh, and that's where data finance came from. So I, 
started uh, the uh, division in 99. Um, Bank of Queensland, uh, in my view anyway, has always had a marvellous culture. Um, I'd worked for a couple of banks before that. I'd worked for Advance Bank and then St George Bank, yep. both both involved in data finance. Uh, Prior so, to that, yeah. Mm. So, so they were the smaller, they were the smaller banks, mm-hmm. uh, and I've never worked for any of the larger banks. But I believe in just talking to mates and friends and all that sort of stuff and people I've been involved in. The culture of Bank Queensland was quite different. Mm-hmm. Um, plus, of course, you've got the the different model. You've got the owner manager model. Yeah, so um, it's very it's more. Feel, it's, the people that I've spoken to over the years, the last twenty years with Bank of Queensland, there's always that local branch feel, isn't there? That's right. The local sort of ownership, the community sort of bank feel as well, even though it's you know Bank of Queensland is the name of it. That's right. It's a great culture. Um, so, and how did sort of with the debt of finance there um, over the time that you worked there what sort of changed uh, did there much change in the way they sort of operated obviously things would have evolved over time and um, methods and uh, and obviously then you know 2009 was when the GFC happened how did that affect um, debt of finance well it was interesting because um, it, it was I, I came through the I was working in debt of finance in 91 Mm. When the recession for that recession, okay, yeah, mm. yeah, and that. Yeah. Uh, it was interesting that I think there was quite a marked difference between the two, between the GFC and the '91 yeah. recession. Yeah. In that, in '91, uh, I think that there was a lot more uh, blood on the floor, if I can put it that way. Yeah, okay. uh, and uh, a lot of the banks um, stopped. Stopped a lot of lending in '91, uh, so that gave us an opportunity. Uh, and the business I was working for at the time uh, had quite a bit of growth through that period because we were able to offer options mm. that that other institutions weren't prepared to provide. Yeah. Um, whereas the GFC was quite a bit different. It, I'd, I was expecting to have a similar experience as to what happened in '91. Um, it wasn't quite the same. And I think the reason why was because um, a lot of businesses took a different tack. I think they they decided, well, you'd know better than me. Yeah. But, but a lot of businesses seem to take a different tack and they pull back quite a bit. And they they uh, withheld a lot of their plans uh, and basically yeah. tried to um, stay afloat rather than... So expansion wasn't on the same degree as what, some people were trying to do in 91, 92. So, so whilst we had quite good growth through that period, um, it wasn't, as I said, it wasn't quite the same. But I think the big thing was that debt of finance in Australia has come a long, long way since, um, since I got involved in the early 80s. Uh, it's evolved quite, it's a much smarter type of finance, Tim. So it, back in the early 80s, Essentially, it was just a vanilla one product, whereas now it's a multiple product. So it's a it's a it's a type of product that can cater to the requirements of a large number of businesses, from from startups right through to multinationals, to businesses that are turning over hundreds of millions of, of dollars a year. So mm-hmm. um, now that has meant that the data finance industry has got to get a lot smarter about the way that it's operated. And a lot of that is revolving around 
uh, software systems. Um, Scottish Pacific have just invested in quite a large state-of-the-art um, system, uh, and that shows their commitment to uh, to to the business, to the industry. Yeah. So yeah, obviously that's where you work now, is Scott Pack, and I think you've been there nearly five years, is it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah July fourteen. Yeah. Okay. But uh, again, um, very specialist in this this sort of space of debtor finance, and as you said, there's lots of other solutions that uh, Scott Pack do provide that uh, you don't see from uh, pretty much most of the lenders that are out there don't provide these types of uh, finance. So it's it's definitely an, um, when you're looking at competitive advantage, that's something that Scott Pack certainly has when it's when it's got all these different types of solutions at its. Um, I guess that's at its fingertips. We'll probably go, let's talk a bit about some of the other solutions as opposed to your straight sort of debt of finance. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, are the, what are the main ones that, what are the main new ones that clients are sort of getting into uh, type of solutions? And tell us about the ones that you think are the best. So um, what's the difference between say debt of finance and say selective invoice finance? Well, well, selective invoice finance is a form of debt of finance, yep. but essentially it's just invoice, it's just funding yep. one or two invoices. Mm-hmm. So it's a, I call it a sugar hit. Yep. So so generally, a debt of finance product, uh, the mainstream one, is more like a the whole debt sim- system, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, that's similar to an overdraft. Mm. So it's like a, it's essentially like a line of credit against mm. against um, uh, your debtor book. Mm. Um, whereas a selective facility is that's that's essentially just a a one-off hit. Yeah. Or it can be done. It can be done multiple times, mm. but mm. but essentially it's just a case of where someone wants a. I mean, I I, I equate it to a, a temporary excess on an overdraft, yeah. where mm. someone just needs a bit of extra money yep. or something. Um, yeah. I've actually got quite a number of those transactions going on at, at the moment uh, for. Different types of industries. Uh, one is a um, uh, electrical contractor, uh, and they they need a they need help on one of their progress payment mm-hmm. um, selective invoice facilities. Yep. So we we look like kind of we provide um, something for them. I think that's yep. about one hundred and fifty thousand. Yep. Um, and there's another one who's a, a transport operator. I think he might be a one or two truck operator. And he just he, he's just got in. I think he, um, amongst other things, he he transports uh, grain mm. uh, and in the country. Mm. And he's just needing a a short term yep. um, help from his cash flow pr- provider. Yeah, and some of the other types of finance. So, do you do any? any do they do anything like trade finance? Like, yes. Tell us a bit about how that works. Just well, we've got a number of products. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've uh, that operates out of um, our Sydney office. Yeah, uh, we've got quite a large team down there. Also, we've got a team in um, in China. So we do we provide a lot of um, importing uh, from uh, around the world, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, that can be done a d- number of different ways. Uh, but, we, but we can also do a domestic. Uh, trade line type facility where we can actually fund something in Australia and I'm talking to one of our clients at the moment who wants to buy, it's a form of steel product, so he's got uh, someone in Melbourne who's importing the product from China Yep. Um, so the product's already come into the country but yep. he needs 
help to buy uh, from that particular uh, provider in Melbourne yep. to to and we'll be able to do that for up to 90 days for him yep. domestically. Mm. So it can be quite innovative. Mm. So, in, so import finance and then there's also export finance as well? Yeah, that's um, export finance is, is probably a little bit more, um, uh, how can I put it? Um, uh, the, the way it's done, it, it's geared to, because pretty much all of our products don't need um, hard security. So we don't need any property security to cover anything. Mm-hmm. So the export facility, uh, I've got a client who, who is a cleaning, he provides cleaning products, um, liquids, and his major part of his business is in uh, southeast Queensland, but he also sells into a, um, a distributor in New Zealand. So we provide him with a export facility, but it's geared to his domestic ledger. Tim. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. And then uh, probably our most recent, um, late last year, uh, we became very committed to an asset finance product um, where we're providing um, funding facilities to buy equipment. So uh, general, general, just all, all sorts of planned as well or? Yeah. Yeah. Because I notice, um, I don't know, the banks are probably trying to steer a little bit away from asset finance to a degree. I'm not sure, you know, I mean, I'm talking plant finance. Um, so it's, it's certainly, to have something like that, you know, obviously puts another, you know, another another uh, feather in, in, in Scott Pack's cap. It does. Well, we're, 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 we're trying to differentiate ourselves from the mainstream asset finance lenders, Tim. So yep. our... our um, uh, our offering is geared to non-vanilla, if mm. you like, uh, where where there, maybe there's something different about the about the business or maybe about the uh, about the product. For example, we just funded a 12-year-old truck. Mm. Um, That's fairly old, isn't it? Yeah, a lot of people wouldn't touch that. No, and we found we seem to have found a niche because we're getting a, a, a lot of inquiry. Um, so. That's the area that we're trying to um, work into. We don't want to compete with with the major banks, uh, so because it, I mean, essentially, that's not our market. Yeah, no. And what what do what is your take, I guess, on the Royal, recent Royal Commission uh, looking into banks? In particular, in the finance industry, do you have any sort of? Oh, Tim, that's a leading question. <laughs> you, could, you could go for a days, but any, any yeah, sort of just any short sort of comments about that, or anything, how that's if that's affected Scott Pack at all? Yeah. Uh, if anything, it's it's uh, helped Scott Pack. Yeah, because essentially we're being able to uh, do and provide solutions to business that essentially the mainstream lenders aren't. Uh, I mean, I've got to say, I I mean, I reckon just like everyone else in Australia, I was pretty disappointed to to see the breadth of some of the results that came out of the Royal Commission. I was very disappointed with um, uh, what some of the things that came out Uh, because I, you know, I worked in the banking industry for pretty much 20 years. So, um, so as I say, I was I was disappointed. Uh, However. I mean, I think um, um, things have got to be done to to clean it up. But I think that the the 
the result of it has meant that um, there's no doubt that there's a squeeze from the point of view of uh, I, I'm, I don't I'm not involved in the, in the home loan industry, obviously, because that's Scott Pack aren't don't provide that sort of facility, but because we're basically commercial. Yeah. But um, uh, the restraints that I'm hearing uh, from the point of view of the compliance that it, that has been placed uh, on on a lot of the lenders, uh, I think they've got to work that through. Mm. Uh, and I guess an interesting question for you is what, what do you think of these uh, fairly, I guess, newer sort of finance providers that are out there at the moment that are, you know, fairly much gig economy based to a degree? They're sort of just obviously fairly new, trying to obviously get involved and in the rates that are read that they use are, are quite high. Um, so I'm, I'm probably talking about uh, companies like Prosper and Moolah and all these ones with fairly high interest rates that really there's some crossover business with maybe what Scott Packer providing and what these guys are providing as far as finance. Not different products, definitely, yeah. but they're obviously trying to get um, they're trying to get business. Absolutely, yeah. Well, I think I mean every every lender uh, has got an offering. Uh, I, I just I just think that any business person that's considering a particular offering, I think they just need to understand uh, number one the offering, uh, number two uh, understand, and I'm, obviously you play a really big part in that um, because you're giving business people advice. Um, to me, it's a case of understanding very strongly what how they can use the facility and make it work for them mm. uh, because that because th- and you're right I mean a, a lot of the uh, a lot of the offering is there's more risk in the the uh, a lot of these the prospers and the moolers and the on decks uh, are taking however that they do provide a purpose and they can be used to make it work for the individual business um, what, what I mean by that is it can be treated as a sugar hit for example mm. uh, as a as a, a solution to a problem they might have mm. but then making sure that they minimise the overall cost by paying, for, paying it off quicker mm. there are definitely a lot of sugar hit type facilities out there and there's there's the two there's two that I'm going to sort of bring up right now there's I mean Afterpay you've probably heard about have you heard much about Afterpay I don't Afterpay? know much about Afterpay no Okay, well, that's, they've been massive in the news the last six months. Have they? Yeah, right. Afterpay, I think it's called. Um, look it up. Um, so Afterpay, it's all about... It's it's really like, okay, we're, we're going to get something now, but we're going to pay for it later. Oh, okay. So it's like your bloody interest-free loans, effectively. Um, oh, is that through some of the um, retail stores? Yeah, is and, it's, it and it's more... Yeah, and it's, it's definitely more sort of, you know, gig economy type... Yeah. ...type sort of uh, situation. So I, I saw... Yeah, I'm a little yeah. So Afterpay is quite well. It's in it's in the news quite a bit. It's in the, in the news as much as anything that I've seen. Um, and then there's another one I read about the other day, which is called Earned, which you, you may not have heard of that one, but that's um, a fairly new one where you know employees have just been able to access their pay, yeah. You know before they get paid. <laughs> you know, yeah. So it's sugar hit sugar hit type behaviour, and that's where the economy. That's where. I guess the world's going to agree that they're, they're trying to cater to the sugar hitting and 
and that type of thing. What do you think about that? The whole sugar hit um, scenario is it is it good? Um, you, you've seen a lot of stuff over the years. You've seen probably a lot of sugar hit type situations uh, in your industry. Um, can be good, yes, but tell us some of the stories that you've seen with the sugar hit stuff. Well, I, I'm not sure whether I can uh, comment with too much yeah. experience on on some of those. Yeah. Uh, on some of those companies. I mean, the only thing that probably I, not so much the companies, but obviously, you know, even some of the the products that that, yeah. that uh, Scott Pack may get involved. In, you know, you commented probably previously that some of it. You know, if they picked one particular invoice and finance that, that's a bit like a sugar hit sometimes as well. Yeah. Well, the trouble is, Tim, where, where I see. Mm. Um, and this can this can happen with with all a lot of finance products is I mean an overdraft going back 20 or 30 years was never meant to be hardcore so it was never actually meant to be um, a hard form of finance where it was there all the time um, but in a lot of cases these days it has become that way so businesses use the overdraft so it's become a hardcore form of of finance, um, and and to me that's not the not what overdrafts were originally meant to. Overdrafts were originally meant to be able to get in and get out of, mm-hmm. uh, and that's where I see with some of these other finance products. And that yep. that was what I was alluding to before. Yeah. I mean, if you go and get a uh, a cash flow lend from some of those providers that you mentioned earlier, Prosper and yep. and, and On Deck, the, the the thing there is if that becomes a hardcore finance product for that business then that's going to be quite an expensive form of finance over over mm. whatever period it is mm. so that's why and, and that's the same thing with an overdraft a lot of people actually don't realize how much money they're paying and how much money it's costing them mm. for an overdraft because it's essentially become almost like a long-term uh, form of finance whereas to me it was always um, and I might be old-fashioned in my view there, but it was always meant to be um, a, a short-term sugar hit. Mm. Yeah, definitely. So I guess you've been involved in the industry for a long time. I mean, what what do you see, I guess, in your future, Bob, as far as, um, I mean, is, is retirement around the corner or <laughs> anything like That's that? That's a leading question as well, Tim. <laughs> yeah. but um, Retirement scares me a little. It does, does it? Yeah. So, well, it's it. Are you, are you sort of the sort of person that wants to keep yourself busy working though, and and that's that's part of what sort of gets you up out of bed. I mean, if you if you sort of had nothing to look forward to um, when it comes to like you know challenging you know your brain as far as work, is that something that you know would that affect you? Yeah. I, I mean, uh, I, the, the 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 biggest thing I enjoy is is getting out and learning uh, and speaking to business people mm. and finding out what their interests are, what what makes them tick, Tim, mm. um, where they want to go, uh, what they've done in, in their lives. Uh, I mean, people pe- people stimulate me. I mean, it, it's, it's really enjoyable sitting here talking to you mm. uh, because um, apart from the fact that I'm talking with you for a start... Yes. It, it's it's that conversation piece, and I, and I think the thing that scares me probably about retirement is um, it, it, it's all the, the series of events you go through in your life to get to you know, there, yeah. And and 
all the events in your life invariably you've come into a new it's like buying your new first house um, getting married um, uh, having having children uh, it's it's all those so retirement's an ex- experience I've never been through before no it's definitely but I don't think I'm any different to I mean I hear of, of so many people mm. uh, in their mid to late 70s who are still working yeah that, well that's and, that's right I mean people especially doctors seem to don't want to retire a lot of the time even though they could retire at any time and they just want to keep them they keep challenging themselves so we, we have a couple of 80 year old you know doctor clients you know yeah. so um, whereas you know there's some people obviously get to a hard life they've gone for everything they get to 67 they want to retire you know that that type of thing so you're getting it we get you certainly get a mixed bag and you see a lot of different um, situations when it comes to that so uh, Brisbane how, how long have you been in Brisbane for now um, Bob well what's that 78 to so 40 years yeah, yeah 41 years so yeah. uh, what do you love about Brisbane what are the things that make you sort of love living in this part of the world well I'm, <laughs> I'm probably going to upset a few um, Sydney siders but I you can't, you're allowed I, to do that on this podcast <laughs> I came from the country and I was always um, very much a country boy at heart so I never really I never really, even though I lived in Sydney for, um, what's that, um, 12, 12, 14 years, um, (coughs) Sydney was always too big a town for me. Uh, So when I first came to Brisbane, uh, I wished I'd come to Brisbane 10 or 15 years earlier, uh, because I love Brisbane. Mm. uh, To me, it's still, even though it's grown Yep. Dramatically. And you would have seen a lot of growth um, since the expo. and Yeah. Um, but the thing with Brisbane, it's it's a, it's a very, very small town. And we see it, say this a lot on the podcast. It's Everything's like very, you know, two degrees of separation. I mean, what I'll find, I'll often find, you know, a lot of people use LinkedIn, as you've you probably seen LinkedIn. Yeah. Um, it's not unusual to have... Um, uh, people with 200 um shared connections you know that's yeah and that's how small brisbane is that you've you you, you i probably i think i looked on your uh, linkedin profile before but we've we share um you know probably over 100 uh linkedin connections so it's it's a small place that we know at least 50 people that that know one another yeah um Networking is something that I certainly get up involved in. You do a lot of that. Uh, do do quite a lot of that. Um, yourself would have done a lot of networking over the years. What about your networking sort of the, in more recent years? What do you do much of networking uh, these days? Or uh, yeah, I'll pr- probably a fair bit. I mean, yep. I, I as you know, I'm a very active, um, uh, very active on LinkedIn. Yep. Um, and um, and I, I've still got. A, you know, a large number of contacts that I've developed and met over the you know the last 20 30 years Tim. Mm. so I still have a lot to do with people that I've known for 20 30 years yeah yeah definitely so I mean you're still working just like me yeah no it's 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 an enjoyable place Brisbane um, it's just the river I think sort of sells the city with the river and the mountains and um, the, the price point for housing is, is, is certainly affordable in this part of the world compared to, to Sydney in particular and, and Melbourne. 
so it, it, it's it's a lovely place to live. The heat, uh, people sort of look at the temperature of the weather, a lot, you know, a, f- a few different ways. But most people are here because they like the warm weather, I guess. Absolutely. Um, I know my wife always complains about the humidity, but <laughs> um, that's just her. But <laughs> but you know, and yeah, it, it does it's get better, very, it's it, better than the cold. It does get very humid, but it, I mean, when you when it's sort of when you're sweating a bit, sometimes it's not too bad for you. To, you know, you no. get. You get a bit of sweat. So what if you smell a little bit, or you just have a shower and you're you're right to go. So right, um, you know, stay in air conditioning if you want to get out of the heat. That type of thing. Um, so what have you, have you been sort of uh, done much in the way of travel over the last uh, couple of years? You've been or tell, tell me some of the destinations that you sort of been to more that that are memorable. You know, over the last few years or decades or whatever. Well, I've got a couple of daughters, uh, as you know, that are overseas. Okay, uh, where are they based? One's in London. Okay. Uh, with her family. Mm-hmm. Um, two grandchildren over there. And I've got another daughter in San Francisco. She's just, wow, so just, you got just recently Francisco, moved to San London. Francisco. Wow. Uh, she, oh, just recently, okay. Yeah, she, uh, she was in Hong Kong. So we oh, went Hong to Kong. Okay. Hong Kong in August to uh, help her... Um, well, baby, essentially we went there to babysit because we, uh, she's got a little boy who turns seven tomorrow, as a matter of fact. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, we went there to help her because uh, at that stage she just got a, a promotion uh, to the States. Yep. And um, so she was wanting to have some help with uh, packing up and uh, looking after uh, Robbie. Um, I'm pretty very privileged because he was named after me, so I was pretty chuffed about that. Um, and then we uh, we went to San Francisco in late November, early December. Uh, first time I've been to the been to the states, which was first time you've been to the states. Wow, which was quite an eye opener. Um, and what we about said, so did you do just obviously apart from San Francisco? Did you go anywhere else? Or oh, pretty much just in the in the San Francisco area. Went to yeah. uh, Carmel. Did you, so you would have went? Did you go to Alcatraz? Yes, went to Alcatraz and Sausalito. Yeah, well, that's where her house is in Sausalito. So she's got a house in Sausalito. Uh, Lovely place, Sausalito. Walk, walk, walk the Golden Gate. Yeah, um, I think it's ochre red though. They paint it still ochre red. Yeah, color. Yeah. yeah. Um, they went to Napa Valley. That wouldn't have been. That how far away is that from there? It's not that far. Well, it's not it? that far. It's only no. uh, two or three hours, I think. That's a, yeah, uh, it's a day trip, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a bit of an eye opener for you. I think, I think San Francisco. Do they? Have, do you notice any sort of much of a homeless problem there, or anything, or anything like that? I didn't. Uh, I didn't see it. I was told about it. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I was amazed, Tim, at the at the extremes, at the um, at the extremes between the wealth and the oh, the poor and the rich. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, Silicon. Yeah. Uh, so, amazing place. Um, love the food over there. Um, hog- a lot of good hog- seafood too, I think, from memory. I did. I hugged myself on chowder. Yeah, chowder's uh, a staple. And, and uh, Dunganese crab. Yeah. Anyone, are- anyone that goes here, I recommend you get stuck into it. Yeah. And what, what's your sort of take on Hong Kong there? You've been there a couple of times. What, what been do you there think a few of- times. Yeah. yeah. What do you, what's your take on that? Oh, I like the place. Yeah. I, uh, it's a... Uh, it's, it's very vibrant. Um, my wife loves the shopping there. Mm. Uh, all the markets, um, great food, a lot to do. 
Yeah. So I'd go. I'd go back in a heartbeat. Yeah. Excellent. Okay. And any any sort of other uh, any other sort of trips planned over the next couple of years that uh, to go into a different part of the world or? Well, I go to New Zealand quite a bit. Uh, yeah. So the South Island or the North Island or? Uh, both mainly because mm-hmm. uh, I've done a few treks over there, Milford Track and and Rootburn. Um, but what, my daughter's actually just uh, bought a house on on Waiheke Island. Um, I've been to Waiheke Island. It's off Auckland, isn't it? It is. It's yeah, in, it's in Auckland Harbour. Yeah, I've been uh, there. Great food and wine. Wineries are good there. They are very good. Um, so I, I, we'll go back there later this year. Um, probably do it a couple of times. Definitely, if you go to Auckland, Waiheke's just great. It is. Well, it's only forty minutes by ferry. Yeah, so. exactly. You get across over the ferry. You got the wineries. You got the beach. You got the cafes. It's just that's right. Um, just it reminds me of a few nice places, but that's definitely a, a, absolutely one of the best places uh, on the North uh, Island. So, and I think we'll go back to uh, San Francisco again. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah. So, um, looking forward to going back again because uh, we went there. We arrived in the middle of the fires. Oh, really? Um, okay last year uh, which was very unpleasant mm. um, because of all the, the smog and the um, all the clouds of uh, over San Francisco so mm. yeah no it's great uh, I think it's great to ha- have this chat today Bob I think we've yeah, sort thanks. of uh, thanks, we've Tim. had a bit really, of uh, really enjoyed a good, it's been a good yeah. catch up actually because when was the last time you were here about a year ago or oh, last year sometime you were here no, in it was, office. Just, it was uh, yeah it was late last year late last year about six months uh, ago maybe. before you went to Germany yeah <laughs> before I went to Germany I'm, I'm actually I'm, you, you said you, I think you, you mentioned you've been to the South Island I'm mean, booked to go to Queenstown in in June again, so okay. um, for about a week and a half, just love this. You know, That's a great place, Queenstown. Go up there for the snow and that type of thing. Yeah, um, yeah lovely place. Good, good food and wine there too. Oh yeah, definitely. There's plenty to do there. That's for sure. Um, you'll, be, you'll be able to have some bluff oysters. Yeah. Okay. That's yeah. Definitely look forward to that. Um, apart from that, obviously, there's a few things. We've got uh, the budget's only a couple of weeks away, I think, now, isn't it? The, the federal budget, and then we've got the the election probably third week of May, I'm told. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting times for uh, Australia. We've uh, we've had we've had lots of different changes when it comes to to the um, governing of this uh, country since 1997. It's been we have you know we've had a lot of too much change, I guess, in the last uh, 12 years. Uh, that we've had to sort of deal with that, that we haven't sort of had really stable sort of uh, leadership for lack for a better word I guess um, How are your clients feeling about um, upcoming Yeah we've sort of spoken about this a little bit but um, I went to a, um, a parliamentary hearing about a month ago uh, in this area around Paddington and um, a lot of disgruntled uh, self-funded retirees out there, Bob. Are that's they? for sure. Yeah, um, they feel that they're losing mm. their, you know, their franking credits that were refundable, and it's going to take a bit of a chunk out of their income, and you know, they might their, their retirement money won't last as long. So you know, yeah. you hear those stories, but um, but I guess it's it's not a it doesn't change. I guess the I guess there's not a lot of effect. Oh, they don't see a lot of effect from those people that are sort of becoming adults up to, 
to the baby boomer sort of generation, even though there is going to be an effect there. Yeah. Um, there's, those types of people aren't complaining about it as much, um, but they need to really research and see what's going to potentially happen out there. And it could go lots of different, it could go a few different ways anyway. Um, but you know, if the retire, you know, the the baby the baby booners, the retirees, they do spend money. So if they got less money to spend, that's going to certainly affect um, retail and and things like that. So you know, retail's been tough the last couple of years anyway. Yeah. And I feel that uh, a change of a change in uh, uh, government, if that happens, is going to even make retail sort of not go in the right direction um it continue to go yeah uh retail shouldn't be a dead industry and uh it just seems that way that it's it's very tough to in that particular industry i mean i think and you know i just uh, brisbane still should be able to handle things i don't think brisbane's going to go through the a crisis so much that perth went through as far as the property situation but um, and Sydney's just had its ups and downs. So I think we've just, Brisbane's been probably been the most line-driven economy that there's been, I think. Um, there are certainly certainly industries that affect yeah. from time to time. Um, you know, the building industry probably wasn't so great six years ago, but, you know, it's moved moved on a bit from then. What, what do your clients think about the... Um the changes to negative gearing and ne- yeah, negative gearing, negative gearing probably not as much going to affect things um, as what people may think. Um, I think property prices are, aren't really you know, in the rest of Australia, apart from Sydney. It's fairly, it's been fairly line and flat, and you have some pockets that go up and down. Like we saw Hobart's uh, price rises um, since 2013, 2014 go up in a huge way uh, compared to the rest of the country. Will it pull back? I mean, there might be a pullback in that part of the world if if uh, Labor get in, but, you know, people invest there for a reason. You know, it's obviously some factors there, but there's obviously other places that, that, uh, that you know, that you should probably invest in in Australia, but what they are, you know, who, I'm not yeah. an expert, but there, there's always something. So, and what was the other point, apart from negative gearing with the... Oh. The um, fringe benefits. The I think there's I think there's going to be some changes, isn't there? Is there? I think maybe could be referring to trusts um, being taxed at thirty percent on distributions as well. That might be. That's um, obviously going to have a huge effect on any client that has a trust, and a lot of our clients do. Mm. So, you know, if that comes in, that's going to be. There's going to have to be a lot of sort of okay. Well, what's what's best now? And that's that's the thing. There's there's usually a solution to a lot of these different problems and roadblocks that get put in front of you as an accountant. And it's just looking and navigating what's available that's going to be better. And there's there's always generally a lot of cases. There's something that's going to be better uh, than than what was you know previously. And then does it open up a new loophole or does it you yeah. know or that they might close down the track or you don't know it's, you just got to be as an accountant you just got to be readily sort of be up to date with uh, potential in this situation this is the first time we really had to sort of look at okay what's potential policy as opposed to what's actually but you know being passed and legislation always takes a long time to to get passed anyway um yeah yeah, so that's been that's been a very good discussion. Good to catch up with thanks, you again, Jim. Bob. Yeah, really good to catch up uh, with you. Thanks too. for being on the pod- podcast. Thanks for sharing Thank you. your 
your uh, insight into, you know, obviously your time with Dale Carnegie, the finance industry generally, a bit of about what Scott Pack's products uh, uh, can provide, um, you know, different businesses in particular, uh, funding solutions, finance solutions, um, and thanks for just having a general chat. And it's great, always great to catch up. That's uh, thank you very much. No, well, thank you very much. I, I mean, I love working for Scott Pack. I think um, I find them a great organisation. Uh, they they look after their people particularly well. Um, and as you know, I've got an affinity with people. So uh, no, I, I've enjoyed um, working with Scott Pack. Yeah, that's been episode 31 of From the Valley podcast. Uh, I've been your host, Tim Wilshire. Um, See you later, everybody.